All right, good morning. Today's the day, right? We're kicking off a new series today. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Matt Wolf, and I'm so glad you're here today. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe last week was your first time on Easter, and I'm so glad that you came back. Because we are all about helping people follow Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus wherever you are on your spiritual journey. So I'm excited you're here. Wasn't last week a blast? That was fun. Yeah, it was really exciting. We had a record high in attendance last week. Yeah, praise God for that. A hundred more people than last year on Easter. It's pretty amazing. And I just want to say a special thank you to all our volunteers. We counted over 110 volunteers who helped put that on. Isn't that incredible? Wow. So thank you guys so much. You guys made an awesome Easter happen, so thank you so much. And I'm glad that you guys came back today because we're starting a new series. It's going to be exciting, right? Through Ecclesiastes. You know, uh, today is also another fun day. Grant Ryder, who's up here, our community director, it's his 30th birthday today. Yeah, happy birthday, Grant. I, I remember so long ago when I had my 30th birthday. And... Uh, and I had a friend text me. He literally texted me, and he's just like a half a year younger than me. And he said, Matt, how does it feel to be playing the back nine? The back nine at 30. I mean, am I going to be dead at 60? I mean, that's... But I was like, oh. But, but things like that. It's funny how birthdays like that, when you hit like a, a big one, like 30 or 40 or 10, you know, you hit the big one and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it, you start to think about your life differently, right? Or maybe it's not a birthday, but it's a graduation, or your wedding day, or, or someone's funeral. When these days happen, all of a sudden we step back and we think about things a little differently, right? We begin to see things maybe even clearer than we do normally because we get so busy. We don't have time to think. Even when we're driving to and fro, we're listening to the radio or a podcast, right? We're busy all the time, and we hardly ever stop to think about the reality of life and its existence. But when we do, we begin to ask questions like, Is this it? Is that all life is cracked up to be? You see, I think in our lives, we're all on a search for meaning, for purpose in our lives. I think there's a reason why Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is the best-selling nonfiction book of all time, outside the Bible. 30 million copies plus sold. Because everybody wants meaning. Everybody wants purpose. Mark Twain once said that the, most, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Find out why. It's not what we're always asking, why? What's the meaning of it all? You know, maybe you're in school right now, and in school you're thinking about, okay, when I graduate, then I can start my career, and I start my career so I can start my family, and so that I can have my kids who can go to school, so that they can start their career, so that they can start their family and have kids, so that they can go to school, and you think about it, and you're like, what, is this all there is? This cycle that just seems to go on and on and on. Or maybe you're in your career. You're hitting that midlife point and you've been working so hard to, to raise yourself up, to earn a better salary, to provide for your family. And you get there and you think, is this it? Is this what my whole life's about? Selling this? Doing that? Is there meaning to it? Or maybe you were the mom this week who was cleaning up and had you were elbow deep literally in poop this week, right? cleaning up after your kids, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, is this what I'm here for? Or maybe you're in retirement and you're looking back and you're saying, was that it? We're always asking us these questions when we take those moments to stop and look at reality. Well, in this book of Ecclesiastes, it stares reality in the face. 
It really is. Herman Melville, the great uh, American novelist, author of Moby Dick, said that Ecclesiastes is the truest of all books. I find that fascinating. Because when you read it, you say, wow. Because he's so honest, right? He's brutally honest. And we're going to be introduced to the author in just a minute. But it is a brutally honest book that looks at the meaning of life. And he wonders, is there meaning at all? And I think it's going to be fascinating for us because like the great Irish poet once wrote, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think that's what we feel. And I think that's what Solomon felt as he was writing this book. I still haven't found it. Is there something more? Is there meaning to my life? Is there purpose to what I'm doing? And I hope that through this series, we will begin to figure out why. We will begin to figure out what is the meaning of it all. Is there meaning to my life, what I'm doing, my work? my relationships, and all these different aspects of our life. What is the meaning of it all? Because yes, this book leaves a lot of questions unanswered, but I think it does, by the time we get to the conclusion, answer the question, why? What's the meaning of it all? So, we're starting this series today. Now, you saw that next week we're going to have a a break from the series. I don't like to do that, but Beth Ann is here, and that's better than anything else I'm going to say, right? So we're going to have a special message that Sunday, uh, and then you're going to hear a lot from Beth Ann Erickson. So she's a homegrown missionary. You've got to be here. If you haven't met her, you really want to. She's in Estonia, which is the most atheistic country in the entire world. I don't know if you knew that. And there are people that are dealing with hopelessness and despair and meaninglessness, kind of what we're talking about through this series. And she is bringing hope and light to a very dark nation, literally and figuratively dark. So you're going to want to be here for that and stay for that dinner uh, Sunday night. And then we're going to get back into the series. So what I want you to do, because this series is going to be 12 weeks long, and I want you to be here for these 12 weeks. I want you to commit to that. If you want meaning in your life, don't come one week and then drop off. That doesn't make any sense, right? So what I want you guys to do, I want you to pull out your phones right now, your cell phones, your smartphones, your dumb phones, your iPads, and I want you to set a reminder or an alarm clock for Sunday morning, okay? I don't care how long it takes, but set your alarm right now, set a reminder what it takes to get you back here. Seriously, do it. If you're kind of out of the habit, it takes six weeks at least to get in the habit of something. That's, that's what they say. At minimum, it takes six weeks to develop a habit. So why don't you set that alarm right now for a weekly habit that you can start? Um, and, and I want to encourage you to do this, even if it's like, okay, I've got to set the alarm clock for you know, 8.45 so I can be here at 9. I don't care how long it takes for you to get here. Just set it at the time you're going to need, okay? And if you're saying, well, Matt, I'm going to travel for a little bit. I'm going to be out of town. We're taking a vacation. We get it. We get that. So that's why we have uh, our stuff online as well. We have three ways that you can connect with us online. If you want the live stream of the service itself, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. Every Sunday morning we put up that live feed and keep it up there. If you want to listen to the audio, if you're like me and when you're driving around or running literally around town, you want to listen to something, you can, on any podcast app, you can search for Stapleton Church, you can uh, subscribe to that. Or if you like to watch it on YouTube, we put up the messages every week. You can subscribe to Stapleton Church, okay? That's pretty simple, right? Simple ways to do it. On stapletonchurch.com, you can find all of the info on that on the media tab. So, without further ado, let's jump in to the truest book of all time. You ready? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. While you have your phone out, jump there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, 
everything is meaningless. Wow. <laughs> you can see why they call this the truest book of all time. What? I didn't know that was in the Bible. Meaningless? So what's going on here? So we're introduced to this author as the teacher. He's the teacher. He's uh, speaking to an assembly, a group of people who are gathered. And it says the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about who this is in a little bit. But this is probably more than likely Solomon, the king in Jerusalem. And we'll talk about him later. And he says right off the bat, with his first words, with his first words, meaningless, meaningless. Four times in one verse, he says the word meaningless. That's a lot. That's a lot of times to say that word meaningless. And he would repeat this word meaningless some, I think, 39 times in this book. Everything is meaningless. Well, there's the answer right now. We can close up shop and go home, right? There is no meaning. You heard it here first. Well, it's not the end. That's why we've got to keep going through this journey because Solomon is going through this journey of life trying all sorts of things, pursuing all sorts of different things and he's saying now at this point in the journey, I, I haven't found what I'm looking for. Thankfully, by the time we get to the end of this message and the end of this series, we're going to say, well, maybe that is not everything. But for right now, we hear his words, meaningless, meaningless. This word meaningless in the Hebrew is an interesting word, havel. Havel. So in some translations, you will see this translated as vanity, some of the older translations, but that kind of get real self-focused and prideful. You know, you're so vain, right? You probably think the song is about you. But meaningless, it maybe is a better interpretation of this to capture this idea of Havel. So I want you to just say that Hebrew word, Havel. Can you say that? Okay, and in order to demonstrate what this word means, I need a volunteer or two from the audience. Can I get somebody who's bold enough? One right here. Yep. Okay, come up. Let's get one more volunteer. You need one bold person. Everybody else is... Oh, oh, let's get a guy up here too. We'll get you next time, okay? Johnny, we'll have you guys... I want you to both stand right here. Because this word havel, we translate it as meaningless, but it really is an image that's conjured up by the word havel. Yeah, this is good right here. The word havel can, uh, can also be translated as breath. Right? You guys tracking with me? Like when you're on a cold day and you breathe out... And you see your breath, it's there for a second, and then gone, right? So I want you guys to do something. While you're standing right there, I want you guys to catch this smoke and bring it back to your seat. Come on. You're not trying very hard. Come on. Can we get... Can you bring it back to your seat? <laughs> Come on, guys. Try to catch it, right? Can't you catch that smoke? <laughs> Come on, try a little harder. Give it a little more gusto. <laughs> Can't do it, right? Can't do it, right? Can we give them a hand? You guys can head back to your seats. They did a pretty good job, right? And yet they failed at catching the smoke. This is Havel. It's a smoke. You can see it. It's tangibly present, right? You can even kind of smell it, for those of you who are up close. You can see it. I'm kind of lost in it right now. But you can't hold on to it, can you? You can't keep it for yourself. Throughout the book, there's another phrase that's used, trying to catch the wind, you know, or chasing the wind. It's that same idea. It's like you can see it, but it's there for a second, and then it's gone. But you can't really hold on to it. 
What Solomon is saying is that's what life is like. It's like this smoke. You see it. It's there. But if you try to grasp onto it, it slips out of your fingers. It's not really there. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That's what life is like. Meaningless, meaningless. So every time, all the 30 plus times you see that word meaningless in Ecclesiastes, this is what you're going to think of, right? This smoke. I want you to see that in your mind's eye. This smoke. You you try to grasp it, but you can't hold on to it. And that's what Solomon is saying. Now, I do think that this is so honest, looking reality in the face and saying, yeah, that's how life is. It's meaningless. It's like smoke. And I think Solomon maybe was the very first or one of the first in this tradition of people that are looking at life and saying, yeah, it's meaningless. It's absurd even. You know, there's people in our English tradition who have carried on this idea, people like Shakespeare, when he wrote... um, Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. That's a great way to look at it. Or or people, um, if we look at this next quote, like Thomas Hobbes, the great philosopher. The life of man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Ooh, really uplifting. Or how about Albert Camus, the great French existentialist. "Have Have the guts, he said, to admit that everything in your life is meaningless. Just over and over again, when you read um, English literature, you see this. Meaningless. What's the point of it all? When you look life in the the face, from our perspective, it seems meaningless. If you really, really think about it. Let's see what Solomon has to say about this in verse 2. I'm sorry, in verse 3. In verse 3, Solomon continues to write. He says, where do people gain, what do people gain from all the labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He's saying, look at the generations that come. Every single generation, you can look at this in just our U.S. history, every generation comes up and they think that they are going to figure everything out. They are going to save the world and and solve all the problems that their parents messed up the world with, right? And then they get a little older and then their kids are coming up and saying, oh my gosh, we got to fix this. You know, it was, it was the baby boomers like, no, 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 we, we're not going to stick with your stinginess of their parents coming home from World War II. No, 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 we're going to build bigger houses and build bigger businesses. And then Gen X comes around and says, that's it? These businesses that you're building? Come on. These big, huge houses that you can't even clean? I don't want that. And then millennials come along and we've got it all figured out. We've got it all figured out and we're saying, no, 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 okay, we're not doing what you guys did. We're not going to be cynical like the Gen Xers. We're going to be about a, a purpose. We're going to figure this out and we're going to change the world. And then Gen Y is now coming up and they're like, why are you guys wasting your time? Isn't this what happens? Every generation kind of just throws out the generation before. They didn't know what they were talking about. They didn't know what they were doing. We have it figured out. And on and on the earth goes. He continues in verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. So here he's using this poetic imagery, looking at just the universe around us, and it just keeps going on and on. Sun rises, the sun sets. The seasons come and the seasons go. Every time about this year, we're thinking winter is lasting forever. Then, oh, finally it's spring. And we're going to do the same thing next year. When is spring coming? And then summer, oh, it lasts so long, it's so hot. And then fall comes, right? It just goes on and on. 
He even uses the water cycle. Do you remember learning about that in elementary school? The water cycle. There's precipitation and then it, the water goes into the ground and, and then it evaporates again, right? And goes back up into the clouds and it goes down in the streams of the ocean and evaporates. Do you remember that water cycle? It's just like, just keeps going and going and going. Even though all the Arizonans and Californians are trying to use all our water for their stinking golf courses, it keeps happening, right? The water goes to the ocean and then goes back into the sky and then condenses precipitation again and again and again. What's the meaning of it all? Life keeps going on. The earth keeps moving. Verse 8. All things are wearisome, he writes. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Isn't that the truth? Your eyes are never satisfied. Your ears are never satisfied. Think about that. The best concert you've ever been to. Have you ever been to one? You heard that music. It was your favorite artist, Taylor Swift. Right? <laughs> You hear the music, oh my gosh, her new single's so great. You hear it, and you're like, I think I'm done. I don't need to listen to music for the rest of my life. I will never go to another concert or turn on the radio or listen to music. I don't need to. It was perfect. No, what do you do? I need a new song, a new single. Come on, where's the next album? You need another concert, and then more music, and then you get bored of that, and you need a new artist. Your ear has never been satisfied. Or your eyes. Did you know that for every minute... At least 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube. 300 hours in one minute. And we keep watching. They've set up these services now, YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, is that it just starts the next show. You don't even have to do anything, right? It just keeps going. And you're binge watching over and over again the next show, and then you get to the end of that. Oh, you still want to watch another show about Shiplap? Okay, here's Property Brothers. Okay, try that one. Okay, and another one and another one. Did you know there are 500 scripted TV shows now made a year? 500 shows, multiple episodes. And yet none of us have ever seen a movie or a TV show and say, wow, that was it. Perfect. I'm done. Don't need to watch another movie for the rest of my life. Now, no, you click. Okay, what are we going to watch next? What are we going to watch next? Nobody went and saw Avengers Endgame. Spoiler. You guys ready for a spoiler? I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> But nobody went and saw that and said, I'm done. I don't need another movie for the rest of my life. I can, I can die satisfied. No, in fact, I saw one of my friends posted on Facebook, oh, saw it Thursday night, Endgame. It was so awesome. I'm going to go see it again on Monday. Because our eyes are never satisfied. Isn't that the world we live in? Our eyes, our ears are never satisfied. Verse 9. Solomon writes, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Heard that phrase before? That's where it comes from. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There's nothing new under the sun. Every idea comes back. Whenever we think we have something new figured out, no, 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 the ideas are the same. You know, it's so interesting because I love history when I hear people in the news or in the media or politicians or even our friends say, oh, there's never been anything like this before. That just shows me you don't know very much history. People say literally, our country has never been less civil. We had a civil war. <laughs> Did you know we were killing each other? Like hundreds of thousands of people died. Okay, things have been less civil than they are today. Sure, they might be bad, but things have been much worse. This, this president, there's never been anybody like this. There's been lots of people like this. If you look throughout history and world history especially because our country isn't very old things repeat 
Things repeat. Cycles come and go. The ideas that we think are brand new and fresh, they get a TED talk about it. I don't know. Somebody's thought of that before. It's just a little slight variation. There's nothing new under the sun. In verse 11, he writes, No one, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That's the reality. I want to take a little poll right now. I want you to raise your hand if you know your grandfather's first name. Raise your hand if you know your grandfather's first name. Okay, most everybody in here. Okay, now keep your hands up if you know your great-grandfather's first name. Put it down if you don't. I don't know my great-grandfather's. If I heard it, maybe I'd know. Okay, now only keep your hand up if you know your great-great-grandfather's first name. We got two, three. What was it? What was it, Alex? Great-grand? Charles. Charles. It's probably passed down. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Charles. How about great-great-great-grandfather? Any of you? No. That's just over a hundred years, and you don't know. We forget, and they're our own family. I mean, unless you are the greatest in your generation for something, nobody's going to remember you, and even if they do a hundred years from now, two hundred years, I'm sure they've forgotten you. And even if they remember a a work of art that you wrote or painted, they're not going to know anything about you. They're going to make up some story, right? When you watch history, all the history buffs are like, well, that's not what really happened. Because everybody's forgotten and they've shaped it to be a new story. Your character is completely lost in history. No one remembers the former generations. Man, that's pretty depressing, right? Did you guys come here to get depressed? Now, some of you already were and you're like, Matt, come on! Is this it? Meaningless. Havel. You see that smoke? That's what my life is like, right? Here today, gone tomorrow, Havel. Meaningless, despairing, isn't it? It can certainly seem that way and look that way. Because when we do search out things and we try different things, eventually we come to the point where we're like, yeah, that was giving me joy and fulfillment, but now it's not. I thought I was satisfied, but I'm not. I thought this new relationship would help because that last one was terrible, but now we're falling into the same patterns as we were before. I thought things were going to get better. And that's why I think reading this book from Solomon is so helpful in our lives. Because Solomon was a man who tried it all. I want you to read a little bit farther in in verse 12. In verse 12 we write, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There's that phrase. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. We try to solve the problems and they keep going on. Homelessness, hunger, anger, bitterness. Verse 16, I said to myself, look. I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. 
Now, people debate whether Solomon wrote this or not, but I think so many indicators point to that it was Solomon. We're supposed to be thinking Solomon as we read this. Because he said, I'm the wisest person who's ruling on the throne in Israel. Well, if you know anything about the story of Solomon, he was David's son. King David, the great king who slayed Goliath, ruled over Israel, united the nation. Well, Solomon was his son. And Solomon was someone who, who at the beginning of his life, served God and did what God wanted, and God was pleased with him. So God literally told Solomon, ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. So he asked for wisdom. He said, make me wise. So God made him the wisest person to walk the earth. Solomon made him the wisest person. Or God made Solomon. And you've probably heard that story when these two women come with a baby and one says that that's my child and the other one says, no, 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 that's my child and they're fighting. You help us decide, Solomon, which child it is. And he said, okay, take out a knife and cut that baby right in half. And then the woman who it wasn't her child says, oh. And then the, the, the second woman says, no, please don't do that. No, give it to the other one. Solomon says, ah, figured out it's yours. The first one didn't care. See, Solomon could, could do things like that. And, and even we, we use a phrase like cutting a baby in half, cutting the baby in half, that goes back to Solomon because it talks about how do you get through these tricky, difficult situations with wisdom. Solomon had that. He was the wisest person to ever live. And people loved his wisdom so much that they came from all over the known world just to sit at his feet and learn from him. And because of his wisdom, God blessed him in a lot of other ways. And he became the richest man in the world of his day, accumulating and accumulating everything. And he used that to gain power and authority, bringing other nations around him into subjugation to serve him and serve as his slaves. And then he began to go after women. And he had relationship after relationship. 700 wives he married. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That means if he spent one night with each one of them, it would take over three years to get one night with each of his wives and concubines. Isn't that insane? See, Solomon, this picture that's painted of him, and we're going to go in more in depth as we go throughout this book, but when you look at Solomon, you see someone who's as rich as Bill Gates, as powerful as the President of the United States, as famous as Beyonce, as well-respected as the Dalai Lama or Oprah, and having as many women as Hugh Hefner. All of those combined in one. And Solomon tried everything. He went after everything. He tasted every food. He listened to every band. He went everywhere he could, tried every experience. And after all of that, he has to say, like Bono said, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Havel. Meaningless. None of this, any, everything I've gone after, it's, it's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. I can't hold on to it. It's gone and I'm unsatisfied. I want more. And more is not enough. So I try a different thing, a new hobby, a new place to visit, a new relationship. None of it satisfies me. And I think we can learn so much from Solomon. And hopefully we can learn from his conclusions so that we don't repeat his mistakes. Isn't that what wisdom is? Most of us still think, no, 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 I'm the exception. That's what we do. We always think we're the exception to the rule. We think, no, 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 if I had that many relationships, I'd be fine. I'd keep it together. If I had that much money, I'd be able to be fine, even though every person who's ever won the lottery goes bankrupt or depressed or commits suicide, right? But I would be fine if I won the lottery. I'd be able to hold it together. 
if I had that much power, I wouldn't be mean and, and take advantage of people. It wouldn't corrupt me like it corrupts everybody else. Absolutely. No, no, no. I'm the exception. It's really funny. I do premarital counseling. And every couple, myself and my wife included, every couple thinks that they're the exception. They think, oh, we don't need that because our love, ooh, our love is pure. Our relationship is different than the other relationships. We're not going to have those problems that you will. We're not going to have the fights and conflict that you will later on down the road. No, 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 that won't happen to us. We won't almost get divorced. No, 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 not us. You don't know our love. Every couple thinks this, right? Have you been there? We're too, we just think we're the exception. But we're not. Nobody's the exception. No couple is perfect. Every couple fights and has issues with money and sex and all sorts of different things. We need help. And what we really need to do is just say, I'm not the exception. I need the wisdom from somebody else. So instead of thinking, I need to just have more money and make more money. I need a better career. I need success. I need fame. I need power. If I just pursue those things, then I will be satisfied. No, no, no. You will not. Let's learn from Solomon in this series, okay? Can we do that? If he says, I tried all of it and it didn't satisfy me, we should listen to him. Or maybe if you don't listen to Solomon, let's listen to Tom Brady. If you think of someone who's successful, you think of Tom Brady, right? No, Broncos fans, no way. I'm a Broncos fan too. But Tom Brady, six Super Bowl rings, married to a woman who makes even more money than he does, beautiful kids, everything, right? There's this interview that he gave after he won his third Super Bowl ring. That's more than Peyton Manning. I hate to say it. That's more than Peyton Manning. This is the interview uh, with Tom Brady after he won his third Super Bowl ring. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. If you don't take it from Tom Brady, if you don't take it from Solomon, you're going to try it yourself and you're going to find out. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So here's what I want you to understand. And this is the big idea of our message today and probably our whole series through this book is that everything under the sun is still not enough. Everything. If you try everything, every experience, every relationship, everything that you can accumulate, it's not enough. Everything under the sun is still not enough. You know, this is the perspective of, if we're honest, what should be our world today. Because this is what we see Our world, our universe, everything's just passing on. We're going to die at some point. People are going to forget us. And they're going to move on. They're going to move on. It's Havel. That's what life is. Everything under the sun, from this perspective of ours, is not enough. I put the phrase under the sun because that's a phrase that we've seen already a few times in this chapter, haven't we? Or under heaven. This is a phrase, too, that's repeated over 30 times in this book. Under the sun, under heaven, on earth. Because what Solomon is saying is, if you live your life with that perspective, everything in the universe, everything that I can see and feel and touch and experience, if that's your perspective, it will not be enough for you. You will never be satisfied. You will never find true joy or purpose or meaning in your life. But maybe there's something else. 
Maybe there's something above the sun. I find it so fascinating because this is the perspective of our universe if you really think things through. If you're honest with yourself for just a moment. In those days when you turn 30, if you're honest with yourself, if that's all it is, it's meaningless. And people have learned to embrace the secular people. Uh, One of my friends is a college minister at uh, Vanderbilt University. He was one of my mentors when I was in college. And he posted a picture of this flyer, and I want you to see this, from the Secular Student Alliance. Who needs a campus ministry, right? The Secular Student Alliance. And I just want you to read what this person says at the bottom. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody's going to die. Come eat pizza with us. We laugh, but that was their advertisement. But if you look honestly at our universe under the sun, that's all you can say. Nothing matters. No purpose. Let's just eat some pizza. Because it tastes good on my taste buds for a few minutes before it feels awful on my hips. Come eat pizza with us. I want you to see this next quotation. Um, Stephen Jay Gould, uh, the evolutionary biologist, taught at Harvard for a number of years, very famous professor. When he was asked at one of his lectures, what's the meaning of life, he said this, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. He's being honest. If that's all it is, if it's just random chance that evolution brought this all into being and there was just some bang that happened in the cosmos that brought us here, it's just kind of like, well, I heard one uh, scholar say it's just like playing craps. You just happen to win, right? We're the lucky ones who exist just to figure out it doesn't matter that we exist. Seriously. It's absurd when you take it to its logical conclusion. But most of the time we just busy ourselves to never think about this reality. That everything under the sun is meaningless. Still not enough. And that's a bleak, depressing perspective. It makes sense of why 90% of alcoholics and 100% of drug addicts by a couple different studies say that there is no meaning in their lives. Why not just turn to something? And it makes it even worse because everything under the sun is still not enough. You know... From that perspective, we have to say, wow, there's got to be something different. And whenever you talk to these professors, their next statement, or these great philosophers, their next statement is, well, then we just have to make our own meaning. We have to construct it for ourselves. Well, that's depressing too, because then if you're like, well, I think this is going to be meaningful, but I know in the back of my head it's not really meaningful, man, that's depressing. It won't satisfy you. It won't. They're saying you should live in ignorance. That's what our greatest philosophers today say. Just be ignorant and pretend that there's meaning to your life. Make it up. There's got to be something better, right? Well, thankfully there is. By the time we get to the end of this book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that Solomon doesn't end there. He starts there, but he doesn't end there. And thankfully, Ecclesiastes is not the only book in the Bible. Thank goodness. Because when you look at the perspective of it, that even Solomon is saying under the sun, under heaven, if you were just looking for this humanistic um, point of view from our biology and our evolutionary biology, if that's all you have, it will be meaningless. But if there's someone above the sun, if somehow the sun can break through the gloom of our darkness and shine light into the darkest crags, then maybe there is meaning. 
that maybe if we don't, aren't just random chance that just happen to win at the craps game, but maybe if a God of the universe created us for a specific purpose, that maybe if He is shaping history and that we all have a destiny and the things in our life are not all there is, but there could be life after life, if there could be something beyond that where there's rewards, that there's glory, that we can, what we do can last forever, that maybe we can enjoy and satisfy the things that are so temporary here, but, but in the future we can enjoy them forever. What if that were possible? If that were possible, then there would be meaning now. In this series, we're going to look at different aspects of our life, our work, our careers, our success. We're going to look at our relationships. We're going to look at our money. We're going to look at death itself. And I want you guys to commit to this series because each of these aspects are so important for us to understand because all of them can have meaning, but without God, they are meaningless. They're Havel, if we're honest. But with God, there is meaning. And, and I think that what we celebrated last week shows clearly that there is meaning. It's interesting, Solomon was called the wisest man to ever live, but we're told that Jesus was wiser than Solomon. And Jesus lived a life, you know, a thousand years after Solomon. But he lived the perfect life, finding meaning and joy in everything, in serving others, in having relationships, in sharing meal, enjoying food. And then after a life well-lived, serving others, about the age 30, he was put to death on the cross. And that seems absurd and meaningless. The perfect man, the wisest man, was killed for crimes and sins he did not commit. And yet God used that absurdity to transform the world because Jesus rose on the third day. He rose on the third day. And what's amazing is that Jesus offers us meaning in our life right now, wherever we are. It does not have to be meaningless, whether you're a student or a mom or working in your career. There is meaning. And God wants us to see that meaning and find that. And that's why he sent Jesus. Did you know that Jesus in John 10.10, in John 10.10 said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not pretending like there's meaning. No, no, no. Actual meaning in your life. Jesus came so that you could live the best life possible. Did you know that? Not the easiest life possible, but the best, fullest, most amazing life you could ever live. He wanted you to have meaning and purpose in everything that you do. And you can have it. As the, as the band comes up right now, I want us to think about this. Augustine, uh, who himself was, was a follower of Jesus, and, and in his younger years, if you ever read anything about that he wrote, his confessions, he went after everything just like Solomon. But towards the end of it, he wrote this prayer. He said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. See, we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to have what, what we're looking for. We're find what we're looking for unless we find them in God, someone above the sun who created the sun and the earth and everything in it. Because through him we can have meaning. Through following his son Jesus, we can find that meaning in our lives. And I'm not going to tell you all the details of that because that's what this whole series is about. So you're going to have to come back. But if you're saying, I want hope, I want meaning in my life, then it's time to invite God into your life. It's time to invite God into all the aspects of your life. Saying, I need help because I've been trying these different things and it's not working. I haven't found what I'm looking for. Did you know even Bono is a follower of Jesus? And I was trying to figure out if he became a follower after he wrote that song in the 80s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I don't know. 
But he's a follower of Jesus, and he says, if you just go after all these things in your life, they're not enough. They won't satisfy you. But even he would say, following Jesus, that is where meaning comes from. So I want you to invite God into those aspects of your life today. I want you to think about it. So would everybody just close their eyes? Would you close your eyes with me? If you're here today and and you're saying, Matt, um, I have this perspective that, that I'm just seeing things from my human perspective and I want to invite God into all my life. You, you might already be a Christian, but you're kind of living out of it. If you're ready to invite God into those aspects of your life to find meaning, would you please just raise your hand? You're saying, I want meaning, I want purpose, I don't want despair and hopelessness. If, if you're here, I just want you to raise your hand. Lord God, I pray for these men and women here who are saying, yes, I need meaning, I need purpose. It feels like it's worthless. Like it's Havel, it's smoke here today and gone tomorrow. Lord God, I want meaning. I want something that will last longer than just my short lifetime. Lord God, I pray that you would come into these men and women's lives. These children and teenagers here, that I pray that you would, you would be invited. They're inviting you in right now. I pray that you'd lead them. Now if you're here and you're saying, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I do want that meaning in my life. I want that salvation. Would you just raise your hand if there's anyone here? Awesome. Praise God. Now, where you're seated right now, I just want you to invite Jesus into your life. I'll give you a simple prayer that you can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need meaning. I need purpose. I ask you to forgive me from all my past. And help me to walk into a future full of you. Help my heart find rest in you. Amen. Okay, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you invited Jesus into your life for the first time today, we have a special gift for you. And I want you to even just right now head to the back of the auditorium. We have a bag that's filled with a bunch of books and and some stuff. I want you to just head to the back. Grant Ryder is going to be here, and he's going to um, give you a book. We can pray with you and encourage you on this new journey. Um, Or or stop by and see Grant on your way out. Because we want to help you on that journey following Jesus, because there's so much meaning to it. And now I just want to pray for all of us. Lord God, we don't want to leave here in despair and hopelessness and darkness. That's what our world gives us when we're honest. That's all there is. Lord God, we want something more. We crave something more. We crave for something that will last for eternity. And Lord God, we know that you are the only one who can give that to us. Lord God, we need your living hope in our life so that we can walk out of here with meaning and purpose in every step and every breath we take. Lord, help us find our rest in you today and for all our days. Amen.